Father, help us to just put it all together as we look at this last chapter of, of Joel, Lord. And Father, we just prepare our hearts as we move on to Amos. As Lord, we lift all the needs to you. We lift the people to you, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening. I want to welcome any visitors that might be here. As we begin our last chapter here of the book of Joel. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to the book of Joel. Joel chapter 3 is where we're at. Three little chapters in a lot of these books. Um, even like Jude only has one chapter. Philemon only has one chapter. Obadiah one chapter. But just uh, um, even though they're one chapter, they're important messages and God saw fit to include them in the whole of Scripture. Um, there were other prophets, I'm sure, and yet God chose these specifically to be in the canon uh, for us. 39 of the Old Testament, 27 of the New, and so you have 66 books that God has um, given to us that really has everything that we ever need for life and godliness every generation until his return or until he removes his church. And that's quite amazing that these books would meet the need of every generation, regardless of culture, regardless of nationality, regardless of the sins, regardless of the experience, regardless of everything else, that there would never have to be any update on the Scripture. That, that's an incredible commentary on the Bible. Incredible. And so we come to this final chapter of the prophet Joel where he gives to us a few details um, about the great tribulation period regarding Israel in the kingdom age. This morning we touched on the kingdom age regarding the government, the form of government that will take place. If you weren't here, I encourage you to get that. Now, this topic of the kingdom is nothing new. Uh, we've seen it already with Hosea. We pick it up with Joel. We will continue to see this in the Minor Prophets. And if you were with us in the uh, study of, of the larger books of the major prophets, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they touched vastly on it. And so there is an, a great amount of material regarding the kingdom age, uh, regarding the government, the, the worship, the, the territories, uh, um, what the kingdom's about, and who's ruling, all those things. And not to speak of the land that is given to Israel uh, from the original promise that was to Abraham. And so, chapter 3, we have um, verses 1 through 17 that deal with the judgment of the nations. Um, verse 1 through 3, we have the judgment of the nations for their mistreatment of the Jew. So God in his uh, judgment, and uh, we, in the background of Joel, you have the day of the Lord that we've seen that takes place uh, uh, as its inception simultaneously with the rapture of the church and the attack of Russia on Israel with his confederacy of Islamic nations. And now he hones in uh, on a very close view during this great tribulation time. Um, so verse 1 through 3 of the judgment of the nations from the mistreatment of the Jew. He says, For behold, in those days and at that time 
when I bring back the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. <clears throat> Notice here in verse 1, um, you have the particular time is after the gathering of the Jewish remnant here. The proclamation is emphatic by the words, for behold, we see this often through the scriptures, behold a man or behold this, pay attention, this is important, so to speak, an expression to um, play real close attention. The period is at the end of the great tribulation, indicating here by the phrase, in those days and at that time, here in verse 1. This implies after the second coming and the battle of Armageddon. These words point us back to the deliverance of the remnant of the Jew as he gathers them in Zion and in Jerusalem being the ones who call on the name of the Lord at the end of chapter 2, verse 32. Remember the chapter divisions are made by man in the verse to facilitate our finding things. These are entire letters that are written out. So when he says this in verse 1, he's looking back to verse 32 of the previous chapter. The remnant has been protected and provided for by God in the city of Petra, or Sila, for the last three and a half years, 1,260 days, and you find this in Isaiah 16, verse 1 and 4, and Revelation 12, 6. And so, um, God protects the remnant uh, as they flee to the wilderness, as Revelation 12, 6 says. Now, the confirmation of the time is also stated when I bring back the captivities of Judah and Jerusalem. The captives of Judah and Jerusalem is synonymous with the remnant in Zion and Jerusalem of chapter 2, verse 32. It's synonymous. So it, it's a commentary on itself. Now, in verse 2, we have the gathering involves here all the nations of the world. Notice he says, And I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. And so the first part of two, God once again is, in, is the one who gathers all the nations of the world. Notice this, just as he gathered all the remnant of the Jews. God is... Is, is moving. God is bringing to pass the prophecies that he has declared. This is a time when all this takes place. God will summon the nations to war against Jerusalem, Zechariah 4, 2 tells us. God brings them. God calls them. The name Jehoshaphat means Yahweh has judged. Affirms again Joel 3.12 There is nothing in the scriptures to identify the location of this valley. But the only thing that we can surmise is that it is near Zion there in Jerusalem. As you know, Zion, the hill of Zion, if you were looking at, um, at uh, if you were on the Mount of Olives here, if I'm on the Mount of Olives, there's the Kidron Valley right beneath us. And then we start moving up towards the east gate here, and the Temple Mount is there. 
Okay? And in this area, um, you have the Valley of Kidron over here. And somewhere in there, we don't know, but there's going to be a valley which is not present right now. What is there is the Kidron, and sometimes people identify as the Kidron, but it's not it. When Jesus returns, uh, Zechariah 14, verse 14, it says that his foot will touch the Mount of Olives, and it will split in two. Now, I've heard, I, I could stand corrected, but I've heard they did some archaeological investigation, and they have found a fault on the Mount of Olives. When his foot touches, it splits. He doesn't need a fault, okay? <laughs> he can split it, just say split, okay? But as this split, this gorge is made, then the African rift that comes from the north to the south will be changed to the east and the west. And from Jerusalem will come forth, from the city the throne there, Water to the Dead Sea, as we've mentioned, over to the Mediterranean Sea. The sea of, that is dead right now will be revived. <clears throat> It'll contain many types of fishes. The fishermen in Getty will spread their nets. And um, it will be during the Kingdom Age. And so, uh, Pastor Chuck used to teach that he believes that this valley would be created at that time. Very possible. We just don't know. There's no identity of it now. Now, notice the crimes of the nation are charged here to um, to the individuals. Um, it, they're crimes against the Jew that is here. Um, the, persecute, the prosecuting attorney here, the judge, is Jesus in his defense for his people. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, verse 2 says. This judgment is the judgment of the nations that's recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. Uh, Jesus speaking about the tribulation, the great tribulation of the disciples as they sat in the Mount of Olives looking upon the temple. And Jesus declared that not one stone will be standing upon another. And when shall these things be? What shall be the signs of your coming? The end of the age. And Jesus begins to tell them. And he goes through tribulation, the first three and a half years, and the great tribulation, the last three and a half years. <clears throat> and he marks the middle part by the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet in Matthew twenty four fifteen. At the end of chapter 24 of Matthew, this is Jewish ground. The church is nowhere in there. At the end of 24, Jesus has already returned. Beginning 25, you have the five foolish virgins, the wise virgins, and then the reward of talents to those faithful. Those are the people that are during the tribulation and great tribulation that are waiting for the Lord. Okay? The first thing he does after that is he judges the nations. He separates of the sheep from the goat. How they treated the Jew. He says, you visited me in prison. You gave me a cup of cold water. When did we do this, Lord? When you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it unto me, 
My brethren, Jesus was a Jew, not a Mexican, not a German, not an American. The context is Jewish. The treatment of the Jew during the Great Tribulation when the Antichrist just opened season on the Jews. The remnant flees, as we've mentioned in Revelation 12.6, to the wilderness. The Antichrist army goes after them. God opens the earth, divinely protects them. We believe that God will house Israel in the city of Petra, Selah, Isaiah 16.1, Revelation 12.6. If we're wrong, it doesn't matter. It's going to be in the wilderness somewhere. But we believe from Scripture that is where it is. And so it's during this time when it's very dangerous to associate yourself with a Jew and to protect them because you have to take the mark of the beast. You cannot buy, you cannot sell. You will not be able to do anything without this mark. You will be put to death. Now we have seen periods in history of such occasions, certainly in Rome, certainly um, during our own uh, time last uh, century through Hitler, uh, atrocious times. And yet we're seeing the same type of <clears throat> attitude that is coming about right now uh, against the Jew, against Israel. Um, Zechariah says, God, God speaking to the prophet, that he would make Jerusalem a troublesome stone. The whole world would come against her. Now, we have always been friends to Israel, even though it's been kind of a backhanded friend at times. But now with this present administration, it is a full-blown arrogant refusal and rejection of Israel. Our president will talk to anybody and everybody except Israel. He makes deals with our enemies and he alienates our friends. And we are in desperate trouble because he has neutered our military, bankrupt our nation, not him alone. It's been a progressive thing. You want to go back to Clinton? Eight years, he brought our military half down. Gave technology away to the Chinese and everything else. It's nothing new. It's a progressive thing. Armageddon's coming. The Lord is coming. He's coming for his church. Okay? We're right on schedule. I just don't like the schedule. Um, and so, it's during this time that, um, that the reward is given to those who have befriended the Jew. Um, Revelation 14, 9 through 10 says that um, those that do not take the mark, they escape the wrath of God and the indignation of God. And yet there is great peril when you make yourself a friend of the people of God when the world is their enemy. This has always been the case. It's nothing new. I can imagine if you and I lived during Hitler's time, um, if I wasn't grounded in the word of God and, and knew the prophecy about Israel being established as a nation, the need for that, and I was ignorant to that, I would be fully persuaded that I was in the tribulation and great tribulation. 
Because we had never seen anything like that up to that point. Another reason why and another method by which has, that has changed our society and our world so much is the, uh, the ability and the method by which um, current and immediate news travels. There have always been horrific things that have happened in the world, atrocities and massacres. But often they didn't and they weren't found out till much later time or even a year or a decade or, 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 or whatever. Now today when something happens right now in Russia, somebody puts it in their phone and downloads it on YouTube. So news is immediate. And when you've got a bombardment of information from all over the world about all the injustices and you're priming the pump with this social justice, you overload the sensory perception of the people of the world. So it's magnified in so many ways. Because the reality is immediate. Immediate. And so... Um, God will reward those that will jeopardize their life during this time of the Great Tribulation. Now, you and I will not be here. We have not been appointed to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 5, nine, First Thessalonians 5.9, Revelation 3.10. He will keep us from the hour that will come upon all earth dwellers. I suppose you're a heavenly citizen, a sojourner, not an earth dweller. And so the promise is that he will come to receive us to himself and that we will be um, caught up, heart puzzle, suddenly, violently, to be caught up in the air, to meet our loved ones in the clouds and to be with the Lord forevermore, to go before the Bema Seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 12 on down to 15, and then the marriage uh, of the Lamb happens in heaven and then we come back for our honeymoon for a thousand years to reign with Jesus Christ. Okay? So, um, we have not been appointed to wrath. Very important. And so, here now, in um, verse 3, he says they have... Um, oh, let me, let me finish there at the end of verse 2. Uh, they've counted my people for heritage of Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. So, not only the mistreatment, but here it's also by... Um, uh, the fact that they have scattered them among the nations, and we see this throughout the time uh, of the persecution from the time of Rome in 70 AD on. Uh, this has taken place with the Jews. Um, also, he, he speaks here about they have divided my land. Underline that. Anybody who divides the land of Israel, listen, the land and the people go together. I've told you like Twinkies, like cupcakes, like peanut butter and jam, like tortillas and beans. Okay? They just go together. You cannot separate them. And anybody who messes with the land of God who has given to Abraham, to the Jew, is adding her to themselves. Whether they be dictators, whether they be kings, whether they be President of the United States or anybody. And God goes out of His way to make this indication over and over and over and over. 
And he demonstrates through the scriptures what he does to those who divide the land and those in history who have messed with the land. It's very, very evident. And so, they've exploited the Jew. Notice, they have cast lots for my people, have given a boy as payment for a harlot, sold a girl for wine that they may drink. So the ruthless treatment of the Jew for vice, for pleasure, for gain, whatever it may be. In verse 4 down to 8, you have the particular Gentile nations that mistreated the Jews that are indicated here. Verse 4, he says, Indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the coast of Philistia? Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I will return your retaliation upon your own head. Because you have taken my silver, my gold, and have carried into your temples my prized possessions. Also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem you have sold to the Greeks, that you may remove them far from their borders. Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them, and will return your retaliation upon your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, to a people far off, for the Lord has spoken. In other words, it will come to pass. So verse 4 through 8, you have the particular Gentile nations that mistreated the Jews here. Tyre and Sidon, the Phoenicians, were three enemies of Israel named on the seacoast in rebellion and ruthlessness that was in reality a rebellion and retaliation. Listen carefully against God. You cannot mess with the people of God and think that you're innocent in relationship to God. You just can't do that. Now we have reached the age that we think that God is no longer needed or that God no longer exists. It is simply a figment of our imagination. And you know, as for people who are weak and you know, a bunch of superstitious people. And you know, we have arrived the age of man. We have technology. We have wisdom. We can do anything. And, and you know, we don't need this ancient religion and everything. Wow. What a commentary on man. They have taken the silver and gold, verse 5, dedicated to their pagan temples. So at whatever time, whether it was prior to the, to the uh, ultimate captivity of Babylon or whatever it may be, they took the gold from, from Israel, their silver, and they would take it back as booty or spoil, and they would dedicate it to their false gods. And that would mean that to them that their gods were more powerful than the God of Israel. You see, when you defeated a nation, it was because of your gods. And so the greatest thing you can do is bring back that spoil and dedicate some of it to your God in this temple, right? Because he's the one that made you victorious. This is what he's talking about here. 
In verse 6, they had made great profit by enslaving the Jews to the Ionian Greeks, shipping them off to foreign lands. This is nothing new. Wars are atrocious. Now we today are informed about the atrocities and so there's a lot of laws and this and that and even injustices. But in those days, there's, there, no one was around and they would take people and usually kill a mass bunch of them and then the other they sold to slavery and they would do whatever they wanted with the women. They would sell the children off as slaves and just horrible, horrible things. And um, certainly every nation, every culture, borders and boundaries of nations are expanded through war. Now, it's interesting philosophy that's going on in our nation by the uh, infiltration and invasion by many Mexicans and Latin Americans, because that's what it is. In the mind of many Mexicans, and I'm, by the way, a Mexican citizen. I was born in Mexico City. I came here in 1957. Okay? But they're saying that this is Mexico's land. Listen, tonto, when you go to war and you lose, it's not your land anymore. This land was not stolen. It was won through a war. So it's a lie. It's indoctrination. It's propaganda. And all of our beaner politicians go along with it. All right? It's wrong. It's a lie. California belongs to America, Arizona, not Mexico. By the way, we gave the rest of Mexico back. We didn't have to. But nobody talks about that. Lies completely. You want to argue, I'll be here afterwards. Now, this could be the advent of the Philistines recounted by Obadiah when we get there. In Second Chronicles 21, it's mentioned also. So, horrible things, you know. You go to war and you, you conquer them. You take their land, their riches. You, 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 you kill them. You sell them off. You, you, these are coastal peoples that are mentioned here. So, they have the facility of, of, of seafaring uh, journeys and they sell them off in other lands. We saw that with the blacks that were brought from Africa, sold as slavery too, okay? But but all you who are black, you're not African, you're American. You would never survive one day in the bush. You're American. You just happen to be black. You're not African. Now, if you were born in Africa and you come here, you're an African, it's all propaganda. It's all lies to divide and split and destroy a nation. You understand? Whether you're black, whether you're brown, whether you're yellow, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. That's why it's called the United States. <laughs> People who believe in liberty and freedom 
the opportunity to make a better life for their children. Being intelligent enough to make way for their families and provide for their family in a fair and just society. That's a rule of law. Or there's norms, there's ethics, and there's consequences. But all those ethics and norms and laws are all gone now. It's selective who it applies to and who it doesn't. And why have we come to such a place? Because we have turned our back on God. We have rejected Him. We have offended Him. We have killed 57 million babies since 1973. And by the way, 40% of the abortion are done on 12% of the population, the black community. Barack Obama is the greatest enemy against the black community. He's put abortion on lightning speed. Do your homework. Horrible. You don't find Planned Parenthood in Beverly Hills. All the youth today have bought the, all this propaganda, all these lies. And they are the worker beasts of all these liberal liars. Wow. Nothing new under the sun, is it? Man is bad to the bone. <laughs> we need God to rule over us. As long as we believe there's a God who's greater than us, it's a restraining force on us. You remove that restrainer, God helps society. It is done. Dangerous. Verse 7 and 8. God proclaimed he would bring back the Jews and also return the evil in kind to those enemies and sell their sons and daughters to the Sabians. This isn't revenge and retaliation that smacks the lips like human beings do. This is God's justice of holiness, okay? So never, never interpret when God um, brings judgment on somebody as here in verse 7 and 8 that, that God is some kind of cantankerous uh, God that's just taking revenge unjustly. No. The Sabians were on the southwest corner of the Arabian Peninsula who um, traded spices and gold and precious stones. God is a just God. He's a holy God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He is perfectly just in what he does. He needs no information. He needs nobody to tell him anything. He knows the heart of every person. And yet the atrocities that happen, even as we're talking about here, the Jew, you know, when Rome... Uh, we, we've talked about it a little bit. Romans 70 A.D. was vicious towards the Jew. They killed a million six hundred thousand Jews. The six hundred thousand became captives. 
Those under 17 years of age were sold as slaves and others for Roman sports. Only the strongest and the tallest were paraded through Rome behind the chariots to celebrate their conquest. Then they would be put to death. They gloried in it. Rome was just a fierce member the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold, arms and shoulders of silver, the belly of brass, the legs of iron, that's Rome. Medo, yeah, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, a crushing, crushing iron. Nothing stood in its way. By the way, Rome has never fallen. It just disseminated into Europe. It will rise again under the leadership of the Antichrist, the Ten-Nation Confederacy. Hmm, interesting. The ten toes, iron and clay. Iron and clay don't mix. <laughs> Form a democracy, but not really. Interesting. Verse 9 through 17, you have the battle of Armageddon. He says, proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come all you nations and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let me stop there in verse 11. Now, notice verse 9 and 10. This is a taunt to the nations in their futile effects to defeat God in the proclamation to prepare for battle of the nations against the second coming of Jesus to set up the kingdom. He says, beat your plowshares in, into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Like God saying, come on. Give it your best shot. The arrogance of man. You want a preview? Read Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage? Why do they imagine a vain thing? God will have them in derision. He will laugh at them. The psalm finishes. Kiss the son lest he be angry with you. In other words, you want to worship somebody? Then you worship the son. And his wrath will not fall upon you. I as a good Catholic, which is twice a year, maybe when I'm in trouble, and maybe at Christmas... You always kiss your idol. You always make the sign of the crowd. And if you're all in trouble, you do the long one. I mean, you just go for it. I even know it after 40-some years, even though I haven't, okay? You, you got it down, man. You got your scapular. You got your rosary. You got everything, man. You got a horseshoe. You got your fingers crossed or your rabbit's foot. And you promise anything. But as soon as you're out, you're back to it. Hmm. A taunt right here. Beating your plowshares into swords. God is saying, all right, let's go for it. Let's see who's going to win. Just the opposite will be done at the establishment of the millennial kingdom. I mentioned it this morning. In Isaiah 2, 3, 4, and it's also found in Micah 3. It says, He shall, um, let me 
me see here. They messed up. Here we go. He says, He shall judge between many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The UN has this quote as their philosophy, quoting Isaiah 2.4, which is all, also found in Micah 4.3. But that's for the millennial kingdom. Okay? That's when wars will cease, when Jesus reigns on the earth for a thousand years. Until then, you may have a day, a week, a month of rest, maybe a year. There'll be another war. Where do wars come from? Do they not come from your own members? Do you desire to have and you can't have and, and you fight and you war from within yourselves? That is man. And so you have just the opposite. God says, hey, prepare your weapons. Didn't Jesus tell the disciples, go sell a sword? And then after he says, now, go buy a sword. Because we live in a hostile world. Is Jesus commanding us to kill people? No. Jesus is saying be wise and sometimes you may have to defend yourself. It's real simple. Someone breaks in your house, what are you going to do? Pray? I may pray over them after I get done, but I'm not going to pray at first. You come in my house unannounced, you're going to have some problems. No question about it. Okay? And so, we need to have common sense. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to do anything that's going to misrepresent my Lord. But we have to use good common sense. We live in a fallen world. Um, people are very evil. And the day that we're living in, there is a greater opportunity that's given to the evil by prohibiting the good. By tying the hands of the righteous and freeing the hands of the evil. It's just the day we live in. And if you as a Christian don't understand that, then you put yourself in great peril. So you need to use common sense. Um, there's also a statue in the UN garden named Let Us Beat Our Swords Into Plowshares, portraying a uh, naked sort of atlas type of guy with a big sledgehammer ready to sledge down on, on his sword to make it into a plowshare. But again, it's out of context. The UN, um, it doesn't stand for the United Nations. It stands for the United Nothings. Um, they do nothing. If you look at their history, if you look back to Africa when they, uh, the Hutus and the, and the other tribes were civil war, which was really just another Christian genocide under uh, Clinton, and he did absolutely nothing. The UN stood by, and they saw these rebels come in, and they would ask those Christians to buy a bullet that they would be shot with or be hacked alive with machetes. And the UN walked away, turned their back, and they could listen to people suffering and did absolutely nothing. 
And we flipped the majority of the bill for the UN. Do you think God's going to wink at the United States? Absolutely not, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely not. And so, if your hope is in man, um, good luck. It just doesn't work. Notice verse 11. He says, Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down, their Lord. So, in, in verse 11, the two armies engaged in battle here, assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to come down there, O Lord. The mighty ones are the angels of God. Deuteronomy 22.2, Psalm 68.17, Zechariah 14.5. One angel destroyed 185,000 frontline troops, Assyrian bad dudes. <laughs> Wiped them out in one night. Angels are incredible, incredible beings as we see in Scripture. In verse 12, we have the announcement of the defeat of the nations prior to, to the fact. And this shall be, uh, listen to verse 12. He says, let the nations be weakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat and there will be, uh, will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Verse 12. Zechariah 14, 12 says, And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people and who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand in their feet. Their eyes shall be dissolved in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouth. Neutron bomb. What a perfect description of it. Everything will melt before you hit the ground. These are the weapons that man has created. Now we know that man is not going to destroy the world because God intervenes. The battle of Armageddon is really God's rescue of this world. If Jesus didn't come back, we would truly, truly destroy ourselves. Absolutely. God's goodness. Oh, God's, forget you guys. Kill yourselves. But he's merciful. He's compassionate. He's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You have to just admire God. You just have to say, Lord, you are just, we are so unworthy. You're just so good. You're so kind to us. You're so merciful. Man, amazing, amazing. Look at 13. He says, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe, come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, and their wickedness is great. The descriptive vengeance executed on the nations for their wickedness that is great here is the valley of Jehoshaphat. The sickle is the instrument of bringing in the harvest, as you know. Isaiah describes the battle. Listen, he says, Why is your apparel red and your garments 
like one who treads in the winepress. I have trodden down the winepress alone, he says, and from the people no one was with me. For I have trodden down them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my rolls. For the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. Isaiah 63 2-3 As Jesus destroys the armies of the world. Verse 14 He says, Multitude, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And so verse 14 the second psalm again gives the preview of that battle and the outcome from verse 1-12 to 12. God wins. There's no contest. Ready to make his enemies his footstool. Fulfillment of Psalm 110, verse 1 through 3 and 5 through 6. The most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Verse 16, we have the victorious proclamation of Jesus. It's sounded out. He says, the Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strains of the children of Israel. And so, the sun and the moon will grow dark, verse 15 said, and the stars will diminish their light. As earlier stated, the nature will affect, God will use that. He uses it many times. Um, he's mentioned that in chapter 2, verse 30, 31. 16, this victorious proclamation, the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he has prevailed. He is Jesus Christ. Um, a lion roars when it captures its prey. Not before. He would scare it away. He's victorious. His victory and his conquest is just holy. It's well deserved. The book of Romans in chapter 1 speaks about when they knew God, they didn't want to retain him as God, so God gave them over to their reprobate minds doing things that were not fitting. And so their judgment is due appropriate. God is not unjust because it's people who knew God and don't want to retain him as God or give him glory or give him honor or obey him. Man is not ignorant. Adam knew there was a God and everybody after him. And as history has run its course, people have forgotten about God, but God keeps revealing himself and they either accept him or reject him. But man is not ignorant from creation, conscience, and history. We are without excuse, let alone special revelation that Jesus Christ came and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the scriptures. Man is busted. There, there's no way for but about it. And so um, we see this common metaphor of a lion roaring in Hosea 11, 10 through 11. And Amos, we'll see it chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, 8. And we see it in Revelation 
10.3 also. The creation of heaven and earth will shake in response to him, verse 16 says. Jesus will be a shelter and strength to his people, the remnant of Israel. This is the time and the context of this, very important. Now, the Jews will know that he is their Lord and God dwelling in Zion. The holy mountain and Jerusalem will be holy. No alien will pass through her. Look at verse 17. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Who's you? The remnant of Israel. Dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Everything's going to happen in the Middle East. Jerusalem. That's the key. Israel. Then Jerusalem shall be holy and no alien shall ever pass through her again. Jesus will be reigning for the thousand years that we've seen. Israel will occupy all her territory. After the thousand year reign, there will be a last rebellion, which we didn't even touch this morning. There was just too much. After a thousand years of perfect peace, of Jesus reigning, Satan will be let loose. And the people of that generation will follow Satan and try to rebel against God. Why does God let him loose? Well, you know, man always wants to conclude that it's not really, man is not really evil, it's the environment. Really. So God gives them a perfect environment. And they still rebel after Satan is loose. <laughs> to silence a psychologist. The problem is the heart, Jeremiah 17, is The man's heart is desperately wicked above all things. The problem is in us, ladies and gentlemen. The things outside don't help us, but they're not the reason or the cause. The cause is in me. Things outside of me provoke me to do evil. They attract me. They pull on me. But the problem's inside. And so, after the Battle of Armageddon, um, the judgment of the nations, the thousand years, the last rebellion, and then you have the white throne judgment, and then you have the new heaven and the new earth. Now, 18 to 21, he just gives us a short little thing here on the millennial blessing. Um, verse 18, you have the earth will be, um, will go through a dr drastic change. He says, and it shall come to pass in that day, that day you have the five statements of the day of the Lord. This is an implication and, and an identification of the day of the Lord under that day. He says, will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine. The hills shall flow with milk and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. The fountains shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Acacia. And so here again, the time period is identified. It will come to pass in that day. This is the reference to the kingdom age. A thousand years. The day is tied to the five-time mention of the day of the Lord that runs from the beginning of the tribulation to the end of the thousand years. It goes hand in hand with the five mentions of the day of the Lord. In chapter 115, 2, 1, 2, 11, 
31, and then 314, and then here the last one by that day, verse 18. The material blessings notice are agricultural. The mountains shall drip with new wine, the hills flow with milk, and the brooks of Judah flooded with water. Things that are beneficial, they, they bring forth life, they, pr- they, they produce for life to go on. Uh, Amos will speak about that also in chapter 9, verse 13 through 14, Isaiah 35, 6, and many others. Isaiah has an entire chapter on the kingdom age when everything is returned to the pre-fall of Adam with the exception of sin and death, Isaiah 11. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leper will lie down with the young Goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and the little child will lead them. Isaiah 11, 6. That'll be quite a day. (laughs) The abundant supply of water from the temple will flood. Verse 18 at the end there. The house of the Lord, the water of the valley of Acacia. This takes place again as Jesus steps on the Mount of Olives. In Zechariah 14, 1 through 21, there's a great description there. You go to Ezekiel 47, verse 1 through 12, you see the great river, you see trees of fruit on either side, you see the leaves for the medicinal purpose of the people. Because remember, the people that go into the millennial kingdom that have been taking the mark, and after the judgment they're allowed in, they have to reproduce, they live, they die, they sin, they have to get right, they have to be born again. And so uh, the aspect of no tears, no more sorrow, no more tears, none of that doesn't happen till the new heaven and new earth. For you and I, we're glorified, but not for the people that go into uh, for the thousand years. Okay? It's after the thousand years of the white throat judgment, then the new heaven, then the new earth, all eternity. Then there will be no more tears. Then there will be no more sorrows. And so, verse 19 says, Each shall be... A desolation in Edom, desolate wilderness, because of violence against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their land. So, verse 19, the retribution of God against Egypt and Edom mentioned again. And this is a repeated thing through many of the prophets. Egypt and Edom will be destroyed by God, uh, perennial enemies of um, of Israel, as you know, Edom is uh, Esau, the descendant, and he was Jacob's brother. When you go to Romans chapter 8, um, or Romans chapter 9, many Calvinists use their Edom, um, Esau have, uh, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. According to Malachi, what quotes Genesis, okay? But he's talking about nation, not individual salvation. When Edom uh, Jacob and Esau are mentioned in Romans 9. It is not individual salvation. It's talking about national election. And it refers to Malachi, which goes back to Genesis 25. Okay? So, the Calvinists are very dishonest in their exposition of that chapter. It's not talking about individual salvation at all. Read it in the context. 9, 10, and 11, Paul is talking about Israel, the remnant, who truly are Israel. Very, very important. The nature of the violence is shedding innocent blood notice in their land. This was during the destruction of the temple in 586 B.C. as they handed over the fleeting Jews 
to the enemy and divided the land, there it is again. Psalm 137.7, Ezekiel 25.12, Obadiah, uh, many aspects like that. And so they would be fleeing away and they would grab them and hand them to the enemy. And then they would go along with the enemy and pillage the stuff. And when the enemy would leave, they would divide the land and enlarge their borders. And God sees all this. He writes it down in his book. Verse 20, you have the affirmation of God's promise to Israel. Notice, but Judah shall abide forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. Now, what do you do with replacement theology? (laughs) If you had only this verse, this is what people do. And the Palestinians shall abide forever and they'll change Jerusalem also or just attach it to them from generation to generation. You ignore what is stated and you put your name in there. That's what they do. That's ludicrous. How can any intelligent person allow that and believe that? God is very clear here. Judah shall abide forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. God preserves his people. He's in control. Verse 21, the restoration of Israel to God. Notice, he says, For I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed, whom I had not acquitted, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Expiation, atonement, because there is confession and acknowledgement of sin. That is the only way you and I can be right with God. You cannot undo, redo, or forget what you've done. All you can do is be forgiven and cleansed from your sin. And God never remembers it, though you will. So you must trust God for what he says, not what you feel. What you feel is irrelevant. What is important, what God says. And when he says that you're a new creature, you're a new creature. When he says you're whiter than snow, you're whiter than snow. When he says your sins have been buried in the deepest ocean, they're in the deepest ocean. And he put a sign there, no fishing. Your emotions, your feelings mean nothing. The authority is God's word. It's not I hope so as I know so. Faith points you to the revelation of God, not to your emotions. It's not mind over matter. It's based on what Jesus Christ did for you. Because you cannot do it for yourself. Are you clear on that? Man, do we serve a gracious God or what? Amazing. By forgiving them of all their sins. 
I've acquitted them of their guilt. But, but they don't deserve, do you deserve it? You want to stand up so we can laugh? Hmm. By being present with them, for the Lord dwells in Zion. What, what do you do with that with replacement theology? <laughs> the safest place is always with the Lord. It's great to say I know the Lord. It's great to say I'm on God's side. But the most important thing is that God says I'm on His side. Anybody can say I know God. Anybody can say, well, I'm on God's side. That's not the important half of the equation. It's the, it's the flip side. Does God say I know Xavier? Does God say He's one of mine? That's the important proclamation. Very, very important. The Shekinah glory of God will return to the millennial temple. Ezekiel 46, 1 through 6, a glorious time. The worship of God. There will be animal sacrifice that we don't truly understand why. All we can say it's in memorial of what Jesus did because he's the Lamb of God, shed for the, slain for the sins of the world. So they have to be commemorable. But remember, all the people that are entered the kingdom, they have to repent, they have to accept Christ, they have to be born again. Just like us right now. But we're glorified. And so, we know a lot of stuff about the millennials that's coming, but there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. It's going to be great. And so our hope is in Christ, ladies and gentlemen. People always tell me I shouldn't be so political. I should just stick to the scriptures. Well, I can't. Because none of the prophets did. None of the apostles did. You have to deal with what's going on in the world. How else can I warn you? Don't fall prey. Don't let the political rats divide you as Christians. We have one allegiance to Jesus Christ alone. We are the church of Jesus Christ. Makes no difference what color you are. Doesn't make any difference where you live. It doesn't make a difference what you drive. It doesn't make any difference your education. I could care less about that. What I care about is, are you born again or are you playing games? That's the most important thing, ladies and gentlemen. God is so great to use a bunch of clowns like us to minister the gospel and to use us to encourage others that they can be saved. Wow. What an incredible God we serve. Lord, thank you for your grace and your goodness. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we know that you first loved us. Continue to use us, Lord. Continue to let us see your grace and your power over our lives and those that call on your name. We pray tonight, Lord, that if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, that you would just speak to their hearts and allow them to understand how much you love them. And how much you want to forgive them. 
As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you might be here, you might be over the internet. You alone can repent of your sins. No one can do it for you. You alone choose where you will spend eternity. No one else. And so if you believe you are sinners by the grace of God, and you can call upon Him right now, it's called a prayer of repentance. So if you want to accept Christ, this is your prayer to Him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. I love you. Fill me with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.